Walk, believer, walk, Daniel. Walk, believer, walk, Daniel. Walk, tell you walk, Daniel. Walk, tell you walk, Daniel. Don't believe us, Daniel. Don't believe us, Daniel. Don't tell you shout, Daniel. Hello, all, and welcome to this episode of Finneran's Wake. I hope these waning days of August find you happy, healthy, and well. It's a bittersweet time when scholars return to their books and summer bids adieu. Today, I want to address a difficult question, and that is whether or not government is necessary. Now, by raising this question, I don't mean to incite a political debate. This question isn't addressing the Biden administration or the Trump administration and their relative merits or demerits. Rather, what we're going to do is address the question in the abstract. We're going to look at it philosophically, as is so seldom done in the realm of partisan politics in which we find ourselves enmeshed today. So the question is, is government necessary? Now, we can point to our frustrations with the dysfunction, the maladministration, the profligacy, the venality, the short-sightedness, the mendacity, decrepitude, decadence, uh, inefficacy, the inexpediency, the inefficiency, and the stupendous bloat of the government under which we currently live. But again, we have to ask ourselves whether or not government in the abstract is worth having, or whether or not we'd be better off without it. Should we forego it completely? Should we scrap it entirely? Let's say that we were to do so. Where would that leave us? Well, anarchy would be the alternative. Now, this is a term at which most people reflexively cringe. I don't think this is quite right. There is a distinction to be made between philosophical anarchy, which is more reasonable and justifiable, and perhaps an unphilosophical anarchy. Now, first and foremost, it's important to understand what the meaning of the word anarchy is. Going back to its Greek, I'm sorry, its Greek roots, etymologically, the arche is the origin of something. It's the primary element, the first principle. Many of the pre-Socratic philosophers held on to a certain arche. For instance, Thales of Miletus held to the view that water was everything. Everything that we know in this world is a product of water. Now, contrasted to Thales was a philosopher by the name of Heraclitus who held to the idea that the Arche or the Arche was fire. 
Anaximander held to the idea that Air was the Arche, while Anaximenes, his student, held to the idea that the Apiron, uh, sort of an essence in the world, was the Arche. So in time, the Arche was expanded, its definition was expanded to mean not just um, the elemental principle out of which all things are spawned, but the ruling principle or the governing principle. It's no surprise then that it was stretched a little bit further to mean rule, or rulership, or guardianship, or government. So, anarchy is to be without an arche, without rule. So some of our most esteemed countrymen from the past, the American past, were what you might call philosophical anarchists. Thomas Jefferson, for one, might be described as such. He famously said that, that government is best which governs least. Now, of course, he's not calling for a complete mm, repudiation and um, abolition of government. And uh, strangely enough, he came to the presidency in the year 1800 beating out Aaron Burr, who had his own ideas of anarchy with his intrigues with Spain and the West. So Thomas Jefferson was a moderate philosophical anarchist. The transcendentalist writer and uh, philosopher, Ta I'm sorry, Henry David Thoreau, was also a philosophical anarchist. He believed in the idea that that government is best which governs not at all, uh, radicalizing the statement that Jefferson made maybe a half century before. Now, taken as a philosophical alternative to government, it's possible that anarchy could work. Uh, but in the real world, it's unlikely to. Now, James Madison argued, I think most convincingly, against the prospect of anarchy in his famous entry, uh, number 51, in the Federalist, or the Federalist Papers, which were a collection of essays uh, produced rather hastily still brilliantly, but hastily, to the citizens of New York, New York State. It was an effort to uh, rally the people of that fine state to champion the cause of the Constitution, uh, to which Hamilton and Madison especially contributed so much. So Madison, in Federalist number 51 asks, What is government itself but the greatest of all reflections of human nature? He follows with his famous line, If men were angels, no government would be necessary. This 
is the precondition, the sine qua non for anarchy. Angelic, perfect, immaculate, sinless men, men or women. But because men are imperfect, we are not, last I checked, angelic beings, government is necessary. Anarchy is unsupportable, in Madison's view. He goes on to say in his famous quote, If angels were to govern men, neither external nor internal controls on government would be necessary. Now, this is an idea on which we will dilate in a future video, for which you'll have to stay tuned. But Hamilton and Madison were of the same mind in this regard. Anarchy, they thought, so long as man is not angelic, and so long as he is not governed by superior and sinless forms, divine forms, he couldn't live in an anarchic state. Now, this was echoed in some ways by Aristotle, who said famously that man is, by his nature, a political animal. Now, this claim is misunderstood by many people. It doesn't mean that Aristotle was pointing to our penchant to binge on political dramas like Veep or to watch Fox News and CNN all day long. He meant, rather, that it is in our nature to associate politically, to form political organizations as soon as we, well, socialize. And also by our nature, we are social animals. The two are intertwined. So, to Aristotle, the proposition that we could ever live in an anarchic state would be inconceivable. So, I think we can all agree, whether by the evidence uh, conferred on us by our everyday experiences in this world, or perhaps revealed to us by some sacred scripture, we are most certainly not angels. We're very flawed individuals. Now, that's not something about which we should be um, remorseful, but we should accept it and try to improve ourselves every single day. But as it pertains to government and its necessity, it has important implications. So because we are not angels, Government is necessary. Because it is in our nature to associate politically, government is necessary. This is the Madisonian and the Aristotelian view combined. And I think it's quite convincing. So we grant that it is necessary. We next ask ourselves, why is it necessary? And what does it do for us? It does, I think, three things. For one, it maintains civil 
peace. That's not to say that it's a peace completely harmonious. It's not to say that we won't have our disagreements, our divergences of opinion, our controversies, our debates. These things, I think, are absolutely essential to a well-functioning government, a free government, in which expression, free expression, is cherished and protected. But it does mean a civil peace, a certain protection of life, liberty, and property, as John Locke enumerated in his famous treatise on government. Next, number two, the role of government and the reason why it's necessary is to allow us to reach agreements. It's not a perfect system by which to do so, but it's one that often circumvents or obviates the need to resort to violence. And third, speaking of violence, a government is necessary because, assuming the first two criteria are met, the maintenance of civil peace and the reaching of agreements, the government must be strong enough to compel compliance. Now that's an idea by which we're often unsettled, especially those of us who lean toward the libertarian or anarchic side of the political spectrum. But it is necessary for a functioning government to take form and effect. Finally, we ask ourselves, if government is necessary, is it a necessary evil? Is it, as opposed to a necessary evil, an absolute, unlimited good? Two sides of the question. To those of us who think it is a necessary evil, who lean toward the libertarian, anarchic side, we see any sort of government as an imposition on our liberty. It is a force fundamentally destructive of our freedom. At the very best, it protects those three things that I enumerated just a short while ago, life, liberty, and property. But it seldom stops at doing just that. For those of us who think it is an absolute good or an unlimited good, we view the government capable not only of supporting our liberties, but creating our liberties, ensuring our equality, promoting our safety, doing everything for us. These would be statists, or at worst, and I don't mean this to be uh, derogative, but I'll have to say it nonetheless, totalitarians at the worst end of the spectrum. These are the people who think that government is all, is never wrong, and is complete in and of itself. Now, between these two propositions, that government is a necessary evil and ought to be limited 
and narrowed to its most basic functions, and that government is an absolute and unlimited good and ought to be expanded to its utmost. There's the intermediate position, to which I hold, to which I think Aristotle would hold as well, and that is that government is a limited good. It must be constrained, it must be confined, but it must have sufficient energy to effectuate and to compel its proper ends. Now those are ends to which the entire populace, over which it is, that it is overseeing, that it is administering, of which it is the uh, depository of rights, ought to be protective. This is a well-structured government, a limited government. It is not good, nor is it evil, but it is useful. So, we've covered today, in this episode, the fundamental question of a government's necessity. We've gone through thinkers from Jefferson to Thoreau to Aristotle and Madison and Hamilton and Locke, and we've arrived at the idea that government is necessary, anarchy being its alternative, and being quite irreconcilable with human nature, and that government is not a necessary evil, nor an absolute and unlimited good, but a limited good, a moderate good, a good to which we, as the citizens, at least of this country, America, all voluntarily agree In our next episode, we'll talk about the different forms of government and which is to be preferred. Thank you for watching this episode, and I look forward to chatting again. Be sure to subscribe to this channel, leave a like or a five-star rating or a comment, and until next time, I bid you farewell from Finneran's Wake.